Greetings, dear friends. It's been a while. It's a real honour for me to be sharing God's word with you like this again and uh, God willing just now also over at Hillview in person. First time in a few months. Uh, I have been so thankful for every single service and every single sermon that's been on this channel over the time of my sabbatical. Thank you to all those who have made these times possible. And I'd like to express a, a very heartfelt thank you in general for the gift of this sabbatical time. I am so grateful to the church family for allowing me this season. In last Thursday's weekly news, I shared a video of some comments I made at Hillview last week about that time. So please feel free to have a look at that. I made some other comments in the email there. So I won't repeat all of that, but thank you. Thank you so much. And now we turn to the fourth of the seven signs listed in John's Gospel. And the passage today is a miracle about a large picnic. <laughs> I found this very interesting as I considered this passage this week. Uh, you'll likely know this story, known by many, even if you've not been around church for maybe a long time, known by many as the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, though there were almost certainly many more people there than just that because that was just the number of men who were present. Uh, if you grew up in creche and, and Sunday school, you will have coloured in multiple sets of five loaves and two fish. Uh, you'll, face, you'll have faced hard lines of questioning about whether you'd be willing to give up your packed lunch for Jesus if you were there. And you'll maybe even have had this story ripped completely out of context in order to force you to uh, finish your peas before the end of dinner time because Jesus said no food should be wasted or to force you to help clean up because that's what Jesus made the disciples do after dinner. The point is, this is a famous story. And like many stories like that, I confess that it has somewhat washed over me as I've read it again and again over the decades of my life. But when you step back and consider this story, is it not a little bit strange? We find it here in John's Gospel, uh, sign number four out of seven. So smack bang in the middle of the signs that John makes a point of including in his account of Jesus' life. This interestingly, and I think significantly by the way, is the only miracle that is included in every one of the four Gospels. Now we know that John chose carefully what he wanted to document. In, in the end of chapter 20, he makes clear that there were many things which Jesus did which haven't been included here. So you have these seven signs purposefully chosen by John under, of course, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of them is about a picnic and the tidy up time afterwards. And really, when you read the passage, there's not a whole lot else going on. There are a few things that are strange about this sign, this miracle here in John chapter 6. First of all, every other sign that John lists has a quite dramatic backdrop, a, a scary situation or, or a crisis which needs to be resolved. 
whether it's healings of serious sicknesses or whether it's storms at sea, that's next week's passage, or even the raising to life of someone who had passed away. Perhaps you might say the, the running out of wine at the wedding in Cana, maybe that's not a crisis, to be honest, but it was still a serious social failing in the culture of the day. The point is that there was a problem that was brought to Jesus' attention for him to fix. But this story is different. Here in, in John chapter 6, there's no real danger. There's no significant issue that requires Jesus' intervention. I mean, the crowd here in John 6, they're there by choice, aren't they? They, they want to be there. They've decided to journey to be present there. Presumably, they were willing to, to miss a meal or, or a few meals to be in Jesus' presence. I think probably most of us, if we got the chance to hang out with Jesus, we'd be willing to miss a few meals for sure. And in fact, in this passage, it's Jesus himself who raises the issue at hand. So verse 5 of chapter 6 says, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? There's no pleading from the crowd for Jesus to take action here. There's no disaster here. Jesus just chooses to get involved, providing some food for the crowd. Now it's also striking with this miracle how little reaction is recorded. In fairness, John's gospel gets closest. There is what reads like something of a side note towards the end in verse 14, how the people draw certain conclusions about who Jesus is on the basis of this miracle. But in not one of the gospels is there any sense of amazement at the actual moment of the miracle itself. So listen to the way the Gospels recount it. Matthew 14 says, Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Here's Mark chapter 6. Jesus broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. I mean, you, you would expect a parenthesis there. Can you believe Jesus did that? Here's what it looked like. Here's how it happened. But it just says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces uh, of the fish. And then it says, Luke chapter 9. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. And then here's, here's John's passage from verse 11 of John chapter 6. It says, Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. No comment about how this happened. How new loaves of bread and new fish were multiplied, appearing out of nowhere and passed round to thousands of people. The sort of primary reflexive reaction listed in light of what Jesus did here in all of the Gospels is that they got full up. That they enjoyed their lunch. Their stomachs were satisfied. And then it was tidy up time. And then broadly speaking, it's on to the next story. So what is going on here in John chapter 6? How might we respond to this story? Well, if you'll forgive the gratuitous alliteration, forgive me, come on, it's been a, it's been a few months. 
here's one way to capture, sorry, I thought someone was coming in there. Here's one way, the alliteration police were coming to get me. <laughs> here's one way to capture how we should respond to Jesus based on this sign in John 6. Marvel at the miraculous in the mundane. Marvel at the miraculous in the mundane. Marvel at the, at the, the Christ the Lord Jesus, who works these wonderful miracles in the midst of mundane moments of life. Now, let's just take those in reverse order. Let's think about the mundane moments of life. I mean, this is what I've been flagging so far. This is a different kind of miracle to the one that Jesus is normally recorded as doing. He's providing a meal for a crowd and they eat it, they're full up. And that's kind of the end of the story. And yet John gives one of his seven signs to this event. It's such a mundane circumstance. And the way the, the gospel writers record it seem to underline this fact. And here's the thing. I love this about this miracle. Because this is so much of life, isn't it? We speak a lot in this church family of the times of struggle and difficulty and loss that many of us face. And it's right that we do that. And we also speak a lot about being, seeking to be a people of joy and celebration and passion and purpose. And it's right that we do that. But so much of life happens in the unremarkable moments. I mean, take the subject of this story, for example, eating. Apparently, the average person spends over 32,000 hours of their life eating. That's 3.65 years. One website I found said it was more like four and a half years for the average person. And that's just actually eating it. If you add in the time that you would spend thinking about eating it and enjoying the idea of eating it, you'd have to what, at least double it, right? Um, eating takes a lot of our time. So does sleeping. So does tidying and homeworking and cleaning and finance organizing and working and social media-ing and reading or TV watching and so on and so on. And this sign, I believe, shows us Jesus cares about that stuff. Yes, thank God he cares about our lowest lows and our highest highs but I suspect for many of us just now, that's not just where we're at. It's just not where we're at. Jesus cares about the normal moments of life. Maybe you feel a bit flat just now. Maybe you feel perfectly content just now. Maybe like many in the crowd, you're glad to be there following Jesus but there's a weariness in you, a growing sense of needing new energy, needing refreshment. Maybe you've just been looking on, trying to understand who is this Jesus and life is just sort of happening around about you. Perhaps there's, there's no crisis in your life just now, but you just have that sense of need growing, like the hunger was starting to grow in the crowd that day. Jesus sees that in the crowd and before anyone even raises a request, he steps in to help. Please know that today. Please know that this week. Jesus is present in the mundane moments of life. 
but not just present, he is purposeful in those moments. Marvel at the miraculous in the mundane. Because make no mistake, while the setting and even the way the story unfolds seems fairly unremarkable, what is happening here is truly amazing. In some ways, any loaf of bread baked is a miracle. <laughs> I'm not just talking about my lack of cooking ability, but that, that God made this world so that the right combination of flour and water and yeast and I think some other bits and pieces as well, mixed together in the right way and baked in the right way, that that results in the amazing carb-tastic treat of a loaf of bread is just amazing, isn't it? And what Jesus is doing here is he is displaying his creation power, displaying the wonder of his creation power. He just speaks new bread and new fish into being. He gives thanks, he gives thanks to God and he just breaks these loaves and fish apart and passes them round and there's enough for everyone, for thousands of people. It's so understated and yet it's so incredible and so wonderful. And here's the thing, it's what Jesus has always done Remember Colossians chapter 1, by him all things, by Christ all things were created, all things were made through him and for him. It's what Jesus is still doing. Remember Hebrews 1, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And guess what? It's what Jesus will always do. Remember Revelation 21, the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Oh, how we need to wake up more and more and again and again to the wonder of creation, the miracle of creation. Lungs breathing fresh air every few seconds, fresh blades of grass growing up all the time, great minds dreaming up new technology, blood pumping around our bodies, ears ever more finely tuned to the cries of the oppressed, artists finding new ways to inspire and provoke, generation after generation of new life around this planet the wonder of a baby born, the goodness of a vocation embraced, the kindness of care in shared community, leaves and flowers and trees and sunsets, laughter and stories and sports and hugs and songs. Anything that is good in this life is made possible through the life-generating and sustaining power of Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation. And that's what this sign in John chapter 6 is pointing to, the incredible miraculous power of Jesus to create something beautiful out of nothing, something nourishing, something life-giving. Even in the most mundane moments of life, there are countless miracles going on around about us that God is doing. May we not ignore this. How often we ignore this. How horrifically vast 
The evil is that we participate in when we, along with so many millions in this world, give no thought to the goodness and the wonder of God when we experience gift after gift after gift and miracle after miracle. He gives and gives to us, the author of every good thing. He gives not just enough, but vastly more than we need. Basketful after basketful of blessing left over. And even, it's lovely, just as a side note in that story, how the blessing is, the overflow is not to be wasted. Jesus has purpose for that overflow. That's, of course, how we share the blessing that he's given us with others. It flows over, spills over from our lives to bless those around about us. When we see this, all that God has given us, we don't just shrug our shoulders. We should marvel, marvel at the miraculous in the mundane. What does marvel mean? We thank God. We don't just focus on the miracle, but we Thank the God who has brought that about. We ponder his goodness and his glory day after boring day. And of course, in that, as we do that, as our eyes are awakened, as we really reflect on what is going around about us, what God is doing in this world, of course, the day becomes that little bit less boring. And on and on it goes. When we truly take time to acknowledge the boundless creativity within the love of God for his people, we marvel, we worship. And in that, we are living as we are meant to live within that love of God. In your life, are you marveling at what God is doing in and around you and his awesome creation power? As we close, I do need to flag two cautions from this passage. First of all, when we consider the goodness that Jesus creates around about us, we can misunderstand who he is and what he's for and what he should mean to us in our lives. You might hear me speak of the blessing that Jesus can bring. You might look on at the lives of those around about this church and you might see some of that blessing. And the danger is that we can think, I I want that. I want some of that peace. I want some of that good stuff they're talking about, that hope, that healing. I want stability in my life. I want purpose. I want relational calm. I want these good things. You're telling me that Jesus is how I get that stuff? Okay, well, I can get on board with Jesus if that's how I get some of this good stuff that we've been talking about. That's not worship. That's not marveling. That's not communion with God. That's idolatry. That is, as I've heard John Piper put it, that's cherishing gifts above the giver. This is the mistake that the crowd made. Why were they following him in the first place? Was it because they loved him? Was it because they wanted to be near him? Well, listen to verse 2. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing among the sick. And then after Jesus has blessed them with more food than they can even really enjoy, in that last verse, we find that they were gonna grab Jesus and make him their king. And the question is why? Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, 
They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. But Jesus wasn't having it. You see, the people wanted more of this good stuff, more healing, more wine from water, more food, more miracles. But Jesus knew they did not want more of him. Don't make that mistake today. Marvel at Jesus. Let the wonders of the miracles he works around you hour by hour point you to the glory of him, the wonder of him, the goodness of him. And then the second caution is just for those who simply can't imagine marveling. Maybe who are just feeling numb. I've been there. I think we all have if we're honest. It is striking that there's not one note of amazement in this story about what Jesus does. And maybe that's how you feel. You see Jesus, you see the miracles he has done and is doing. Perhaps you know that you've even tasted of those and you have received them, but you don't feel anything. You don't feel like you're marveling. If that's you, dear friend, let the wonder of this miracle itself minister to you. I want to read you a quote by 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle. And he's highlighting in a commentary on this passage the unique nature of this miracle compared to the others Jesus did. This is what he writes. Not only can Jesus mend that which is broken, build up that which is ruined, heal that which is sick, strengthen that which is weak. He can do even greater things than these. He can call into being that which was not before and call it out of nothing. Dear friend, as Jesus brings bread and fish, so much else into existence out of nowhere, he can bring uh, life to a heart that would beat for him, calling it out of nothing. Ask him to enable you today, this week, to marvel at the miraculous, even in the mundane. May we give glory to God as we see all that he is doing around us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.